Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. The book of Galatians is a gospel clarifying letter that unpacks the richness and completeness of what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. It clearly defines what the gospel is and is not for its readers. It helps us realize the depths of God's love for us in a life of relationship and obedience to Him in His power. Please continue listening for today's message. Hi church, I'm going to be reading from Galatians 6 verse 1 to 5 from the English Standard Version. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each, other, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. For each one will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Thank you, Lizzie, for reading God's word to us. Good evening, church. Yeah, that was probably the best greeting of the day. It was still average, but it was one of the best greetings today. Guys, I want you to know I'm operating in a threes today, okay? The third service of today. I've just had my third coffee. My three kids were here. And uh, I had three hours sleep last night. <laughs> and uh, let's trust that third copy gives me what I need. But I just wanna say good evening, church family. I use the word family deliberately because that is who we are. Now, you might come from another country and speak a different language and maybe you address up differently to me on Heritage Day, but we are united. We are united by God's Spirit and we are joined together. And so when we worship like we've just done, it's not like, oh, I'm like that and I'm like that. No, 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 we are united together and we get to lift our voices together in unison to worship God. Isn't that great? It's a family thing that we get to do. And that is what Paul is speaking about. That is who he is, he is speaking to in today's passage. And we're gonna get there in a moment. But first, a story. It wouldn't be Mike preaching without a story, right? So used to speaking to the next generation. My first experience of church family, church community, was on a camp as a teenager, much like our teenagers are going on camp next weekend. This was a camp that I had been signed up for behind my back, sneakily. It was during my school holidays was over my 15th birthday. You can see how amped I was for this camp, right? And uh, literally in worship, God reminded me of a small story. I remember just before the camp, I think my mom feeling guilty that out of the five children, she had only signed me up for this camp. And she had bought me a present, a birthday present, and said, I don't want it. I don't want that gift. And God said, hey, you didn't know I had a greater gift for you just around the corner. I went begrudgingly to this camp, but that was the camp where God, in, well, that I got introduced to a great God. I got introduced to Jesus and the trajectory of my life was changed forever. But before that moment happened, I had to experience something that I would call very odd you see, we'd arrived at camp, we'd set up and uh, tents, wasn't even in dorms, tents, that's how we were doing camp. We played some games and then it was time for something called the evening session. If you've been on camp, the evening session. And having not grown up in a church, I had no idea what the evening session was all about. See, I wasn't prepared for the Christian karaoke that followed. Everyone's singing songs together. Everyone knowing the words to these songs. Some happy guy up front playing the guitar, Brett. Thanks, buddy. That was amazing. And I really wasn't prepared for what happened just behind me. Just some teenage girl bursting out into tears. And me thinking, goodness, she's got some problems. 
And what I really, really was unprepared for was how God, over the next five days, poured out his spirit into the young people on that camp. Amazing. You see, that outpouring had a profound effect on me. There was something that shifted in me from feeling this is very odd to, hey, this community is very attractive. And, and coming from the outside, crossing the line of faith and stepping into that community. I found a place where I could grow in a relationship with God and explore what faith was all about and enjoy the benefit of brothers and sisters journeying together. And it wasn't just me, of course, that was impacted. Other individuals were profoundly touched on this camp. The youth group as a whole experiences flourishing, a, a rapid growth, a season of favor that then spilled over into the entire church. God in his infinite wisdom poured out his spirit on young people and it flowed into the rest of the church. Can I ask that we would be praying for next weekend? Just hands up if you're going on that camp as a leader. I know there are a bunch of leaders in the room. Can we be praying for, for those leaders, for our young people, that they too would experience something like that on that camp and that it wouldn't just be a moment thing, this high spiritual experience. No, no, that God would use that then to flow into the rest of this church family. Can I hear amen to that? Yeah, thank you. And that's what this is about today. The church family, a spirit-filled community. That's what Paul is speaking about. And we're gonna get there, but for a moment, let me take you back one chapter. Galatians 5 verse one says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. You see, we've been freed from the law, freed from the strict obedience to the Torah. That's what he's speaking to the Galatians about. Free from our sins, but how are we to use this freedom? You see, uh, Paul has been correcting wrong theology all the way through the book of Galatians, and now he speaks to broken relationships. Wrong theology and now broken relationships. And he wants to show how living by the Spirit is not about works and deeds or rules. No, no, he says this in chapter 5, 13 and 14, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. John Stott has this to say of this passage. He says, this paragraph is the New Testament answer to Cain's irresponsible question, am I my brother's keeper? If a man is my brother, then I am his keeper. I am to care for him in love, to be concerned for his welfare. I am neither to assert my fancied superiority over him and provoke him, nor resent his superiority over me and envy him. I am to love him and serve him. If he is heavy laden, I am to bear his burdens. If he falls into sin, I am to restore him and that gently. It is to such practical Christian living, brotherly care and service that walking by the Spirit will lead us. And it is by such too that the law of Christ is fulfilled. It's a beautiful summary of this passage of where we are going tonight, what it looks like to live by the Spirit in community. And I wanna trust that God by His Spirit will use my words, will use His words, and he would challenge and encourage and spur us on tonight. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word and its truth. Thank you that it calls us out. Thank you that it speaks right to our situations where we find ourselves. I wanna pray that you would be on the move this evening. As we hear the rain beating down on this building, I pray that there would be a soaking within us by our spirit. Come and fill us, we pray. And would we leave not the same in it that we arrived. Bless you, amen. And so I wanna look at three ways, four ways, that we walk by the Spirit in this community. First, we restore those who are caught in sin. Second, we bear one another's burdens. Third, we carry our own load. And four, we have a right view of ourselves. And up front, I want you to see that Paul is primarily speaking to those in the church who will do the restoring, who will do the bearing of one another's 
burdens. And it's tempting possibly for you to sit there and say, oh, cool, that's not me. Yeah, yeah, I'm off the hook here. No, not at all. Uh, It's not just the leaders, not just the life group leaders and the elders who get to do this stuff. No, Paul says it's for everyone. This is a body-to-body ministry thing of how we do this one another and this spirit-filled community. And so let's jump in. First, we are to restore those who are caught in sin. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We are to restore. But let's ask some questions of this verse. Who are we to restore? Who does this restoring? What does restoration mean? And how does it happen? How does restoration happen? And just a heads up, that point number one is, is long and we get shorter, okay? So don't worry if you think I'm going too long with number one. But let's see, who are we to restore? Paul simply says, if anyone is caught, and he's aware, right, of, of human nature. He says of himself, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And we can relate to Paul, I know we can. None of us are exempt. None of us are, have reached this uh, perfection that we are outside of the possibility of stumbling, right? And so we restore anyone who sins. But it's important for us to know that Paul is talking to Christ followers here, not to unbelievers. Because what unbelievers need more than anything else is not their sin to be highlighted. No, what they need more than anything is to be introduced to Jesus. You see, 15-year-old Mike on camp didn't need a student leader coming up and said, tell me your sins, uh, list them all, label them, let's sort that out, then we can go into this evening session. No, no, no. I needed to be introduced to Jesus first and I'm grateful it happened that way around. You see, it's like, it's like thinking I've got to clean myself to jump into the bath. It's the wrong way around. No, we jump into the bath of Christ's grace and that is where we find our cleaning. And maybe you, like a 15-year-old Mike, uh, you're an unbeliever. That's how you would call yourself. And you've been invited. A friend's brought you here. I just want to say welcome. We love uh, hosting. We love having guests in our space. There's a guest corner over there to hang out afterwards. You get an extra treat tonight. A cook sister, not a cook sister, just so we are clear. And uh, they're different things, by the way. You can figure it out. And, uh, but you're so welcome. We love you here. We, we trust that you'll meet some of the family, catch some of, hey, who we are, see why we're serious about Jesus in this place. And so Paul is speaking to Christ followers and to those who have been caught in sin. But who does this restoring? Well, Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore. Now, is the spiritual Uh, anyone, if you're a believer, you're spiritual, therefore that's you who to restore. Or is it like a select group of people who gets to restore? Well, Paul gives us a clue because he speaks of the sinner and he's indiscriminate. If anyone is caught in any transgression, anyone is anyone, right? But when he speaks of the restorer, it seems he's a little bit more selective. He says, you who are spiritual, not just anyone. So what are these spiritual people like? Because maybe you're sitting and think, oh, that's not me. That's, that's those people over there. They seem very spiritual. Some of my family who are non-believers, oh, you're, you're quite religious, aren't you? I think this is the sort of thing they have in their mind when they hear spiritual. Well, here's two ways to see if someone is spiritual in the way that Paul is speaking about it. Number one, is there evidence of fruit in their lives? Is there evidence of fruit in their lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Is there evidence of fruit? And not just is there some fruit, but is there fruit growing? Are they more loving than they were before? Are they more uh, self-controlled than they were before? Growing fruit. That's the first thing. And then, are they living a spirit-filled life? Paul speaks about this life. He says, people who walk by, are led by, who live by the Spirit. And I, I kind of summarize that all in an increasing dependence on the Holy Spirit, an increasing dependence. So is there fruit? Is there fruit growing? Is there a dependence on the Holy Spirit? And church, this is not an on-off switch. Some of you say, 
switch, switch on that person's spiritual, switch off that person's not spiritual. No, this is more like a dimmer switch. It's more like a, hey, gradually growing, getting lighter and lighter. Hey, there's fruit growing, there's more dependence, and it's a trajectory that we move forward. And so <clears throat> when Paul speaks, it seems selective, uh, but actually none of us are off the hook here. If you are a Christ follower, you are spiritual and trusting that you are desiring to grow, that you are desiring more fruits and more growth and more dependence on the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is beautiful in its pictures. I'm gonna share three of what this desire looks like because these three speak to my soul and I trust they speak to yours, yours as well. The psalmist speaks about the deer, the, de <clears throat> the deer that pants for water. And there's a woman who stands at the well and she cries out to Jesus, oh, give me that water. He speaks about a well that is bubbling up inside. And then there's the tree in Jeremiah that sends its roots out by the stream to reach the water of life. Those are just three pictures, but can you get a sense for, hey, the desire that we are to have for, for more growth, more fruit, more dependence on the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> what does restoration mean? About 10 years ago, I was playing a cricket match and I was fielding and the ball was blasted towards my face. And I had one of those kind of um, time standing still moments where one second feels like you know, a minute or longer. And in my head, there's this dialogue going on. Should I put out my hand? You know, it might hurt a bit. I don't wanna let the team down. Am I able to catch it? All in like a, a moment, right? <coughs> or do I just let it go past and they'll understand because it was quite hard. And so what did I do? I stuck out my hand, right? <laughs> and... Uh, smashed this ring finger of mine over here. And uh, two operations later, not sure if you can see, but it's, it's, it's still a bit skiff, okay? And it doesn't quite close properly. <laughs> um, and we got to the emergency room that evening, the on-call doctor in, uh, you know, trying to do his best, thought it was dislocated and spent an agonizing few moments trying to, trying to pop back this shattered finger and uh, hence the two operations needed after that. But the word to restore is exactly that. It's, it's a, the picture of a broken bone that needs to be reset or a dislocated bone that needs to be shifted back into place. And a broken or dislocated bone, even if it's just a tiny bit off, even if it's just a small thing, can be a searing pain and needs time to heal, right? See, the broken, dislocated bone is a picture of sin in our lives. Sin that needs to be restored. A bone is supposed to be in the body. So there's a good thing about it, but, but when it's off, it's like sin that takes the place of God in our lives. Good things that we actually made, make into God things. And that causes searing pain in our bodies. I'm trusting that you've experienced something that, of that, but I'm also trusting that you've experienced some of the God kind of bringing that back into order. I want you to know, I'm not sure how long you've been around at Common Ground. Maybe you're fresh and you've only been here a little while. Maybe you've been for a couple of years, but we are a community that really believes in this. We have faith that God can restore brokenness, that he can reset dislocated bones of our lives that searing pain can be reduced, that we can walk in the freedom that God has for us. There was a picture shared in the prayer meeting beforehand, just about loneliness and depression. And, I, and that might be you tonight, maybe like, oh no, the preacher guy, he's got my number. But I do think that God would, would say to you, I see you. I see you sitting, not having anyone to contact and nowhere to go. I wanna say to you, this can be your family. We would love to welcome you with open arms, to knit you into this community, 
to walk a road of restoration if that is needed in your life. That is what we are called to do as a Christian community to each other. And during the week as well, I felt that there were words written over some of our hearts, two words in particular, written off, written off. I've been written off. Maybe again, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. That's me. And you would say to me, Mike, it's one thing to speak about a dislocated bone. That just feels like it needs a bit of a pop into place and then you carry on. But, but I'm broken, I am shattered. And you might be right, I, 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 I don't fully understand. Maybe I, I won't fully understand, but we do have someone who does understand. You see, Jesus is described as our high priest, but he's also described as the one who is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses and all of our brokenness because he too was broken. Jesus was beaten, he was mocked, he was abandoned, he was rejected by those closest to him. And maybe you've had that experience. And later we're gonna come to these very tables, communion tonight, and, and I, my sense is that Jesus would say, come, come to my table. Come and, come and offload that burden on me. And I can give you rest and I can restore you. And maybe you even wanna go one step further and come and be prayed for. We'd love to pray for you as well. Uh, this week as well, I was reminded of the Japanese philosophy of Kintsugi. It refers to the art of restoring broken pottery with a special gold or silver lacquer. Let's have a picture. There it is. Beautiful, right? You see, the pot is restored to its original condition, but the evidence of the restored brokenness is not hidden, it's not covered up. No, it's actually put on display. Brokenness restored into beauty. This is what God is about. And I was a 15-year-old broken kid sitting in that hall on camp. You see, up until that point, I had attended three weddings in my life, all my parents' weddings. You can try and figure out how that happens. You see, I had a broken family. I had no vision for a godly, healthy family and what that looks like. But I was pulled in, sucked into this spirit-filled community and God did a wonderful work of restoration in my life. And there were many moments, but I'll share one. We had a worship evening uh, one night, much like we do here, chairs were cleared away uh, to give space to people. And I remember, I was probably about 20 at that point, there was a, a teenage boy uh, and he moved towards the front and he got down on his knees and he put his hands up in worship. And I watched the scene play out as his father walked towards him, got down on his knees, put his arm around his son, lifted his hand in worship, and they praised God together. I wept. I wept as I watched them worship together. And if you know me, I am not a crier. <laughs> and in that moment, God did a restoration work in my heart, showed me something of what a good, godly father is like. And it was this moment and many other moments that helped restore my broken view of family. And I became like a kintsugi pot. God carefully placing me back together. And church, he is certainly not done yet. I got a long way to go. But the cracks of my brokenness are now on display as something beautiful. And common ground is a place where I get to put some of those, those gold uh, uh, linings on display. And alongside Jane, my wife, we, we get to sit with people who are on a marriage journey and a family journey. And God is using us in that space. Isn't that amazing? God does that. You see, I was not written off. And neither of you, neither are you. He wants to remove the words of written off from your heart and he wants to replace them with beloved and beautiful and treasure and son and daughter. And so how does restoration happen? Well, Paul says in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness is one of the fruit, right? 
but it can sometimes be seen as being weak, a bit of a pushover. But that's not the right understanding because Ryan was up here last week and he said, hey, if we, if we look at the opposite of the, of the fruit, we can sometimes understand the fruit more clearly. And I love the word that Jane brought earlier because it was about comparison and that's exactly what the opposite is. The opposite of gentleness is when we operate in comparison. Either we think we are superior, we are better than others, spiritually proud, judgment seats over others, or we compare and we find ourselves feeling inferior. We are jealous of others. We actually possibly even envy them and resent them. Comparison has been described as a dead end street. A dead end street. It's been described as the thief of joy. That's exactly what happens when, we, when we're on social media, right? And we're checking out people's holidays and their best lives and, and either we think, hey, uh, I'm doing better than them or I'm doing worse than them. Do you leave more joyful? I doubt it. It's the thief of joy when we compare. No, no, no. We ought to operate in a spirit of gentleness. And there's one remedy. The remedy is the gospel. Because the gospel says we are more sinful than we can ever imagine, right? That brings us down. And that undoes our superiority. But it also lifts us up and says we are more loved than we can ever imagine. It undoes our inferiority. And we realize that, hey, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, and so we are not to compare with one another, right? Because we are all in need of the exact same thing, and we all receive the exact same thing from a loving, kind, gentle Savior. I love Laura's word that she brought earlier because we are called to restore those, but who does the restoration? Yes, we have a part to play, but God ultimately says, hey, that is my work that I will do in you. Hang around in a spiritual community like this long enough and, and, and step into it and be vulnerable and share your stuff and you will find that I will restore what is broken in your life. And I'll make sure that you've got some brothers and sisters alongside you to help and, and bear your burdens with you. And we're gonna get to that in a moment. But I just love this description from Martin Luther. He says, when we do this, when we operate in a spirit of gentleness to our brother and sister's sin, this is, this is how we respond. He says, we run unto him. We're reaching out our hand. We raise him up, comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Gentleness moving towards him. We're not comparing, we're not better, we're not, we're, no, we're just moving towards in love. And so we, we move on to the second thing of bearing one another's burdens. And uh, I've been training to run a marathon. I'm running with a friend of mine and we've been training lots of early morning runs. And that's great because you're up early and you're getting fit, you're working towards a goal. But the best thing that I have found through this whole journey is that I get to connect and hang out with my mate. And, and he's a Christ follower. And uh, the last run we had together, we just took a gap each to share, hey, how are we doing with our family and our work and our kids and what can we pray for? And I was exhausted after the run, but I was so strengthened knowing that my godly mate was with me, that he was gonna pray for me, that he was bearing my burdens with me. And that's what we are told to do, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are told more than 50 times in scripture to be one another to each other. We're told to encourage and care and confess and forgive and love one another. And here we're told to bear one another's burdens. Can I just double down on this community thing that I've been speaking about? You cannot do one another on your own. It's impossible to do one another on your own. We need people. You see, Paul's spoken about restoration and how it's a beautiful picture of community. And now Paul speaks about another benefit of community, that we get to bear one another's burdens. And you might say to me, hang on, isn't that God's role? Isn't he supposed to bear our burdens? You know, like Psalm 55, cast your burdens on the Lord 
And that is true, absolutely. And, and we're gonna move towards that as we move to the, the communion tables later. But God also gives us friends. I want you to listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians. I love this because he says, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. They were burdened, right? And then he says, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Isn't that beautiful? How did God comfort and help Paul? He sent him his mate. He sent him a godly friend to encourage him. Isn't that amazing? And I know that each one of us carries a burden or maybe multiple burdens. And I could reach down there, pick up the handheld mic, and I would move in and amongst the chairs and ask you, what's your burden? What's your burden? What's your burden? And we would be here for a while. And we would, have, we would hear some, some tough stories, right, of heavy loads that you are carrying. Maybe it's disappointment, rejection, loss, illness. We all have burdens. And I'm really privileged in this community because it's part of my role <laughs> to sit across the table from a lot of you and just hear, hey, what are your burdens? How can we help carry those burdens together? But I know that it's tough, that there are many times no quick fixes to these things. And so, how is this real help to us? Well, let me take us just one step further. Because to bear a burden is to understand. To understand the situation someone is in. It's not to remove the burden necessarily. And if that is you and you can remove someone's burden completely, wonderful, go ahead. But Paul isn't actually addressing that. He's saying you're gonna have burdens. Some of them are gonna be long lasting and there'll be no quick fixes. And you're gonna need people to come and carry and bear with you. You see, to understand actually means to stand under. Picture someone holding a heavy box and they can hardly move forward and they need someone to come and carry alongside them. Stand under. You see, a burden is a significant weight. It affects someone's whole life. And to bear a burden means to place ourselves beneath this weight. What happens when we do that? the person who is bearing the burden or is burdened, they, they feel a sense of relief, right? If that heavy box is suddenly carried by two people, there is a relief. Oh, it's not as heavy as I thought it was. And the burden's still the same. The box hasn't changed, right? But the, the burden has been shared. The weight has been shared. And so we are to stand under each other's burdens. And what we will need to do though is we will need to create some space in our lives to do that. It might be that we need to put something down ourselves so that we can help carry something else. It's a sacrifice. And did you know the first, mention of the first mention of love in the Bible is Abraham and Isaac on the mountain. You'd think, oh, Adam and Eve, that's, that's where, no, no. On the mountain, sacrifice and love. Can you see that actually when we put something down of our own and we step under the weight of someone else, we are loving them. And then when we carry a burden that we weren't carrying before and now it's a little bit heavy for us and we're feeling it a bit, it's inconvenient, it's a sacrifice. Hey, that's, that's also love, right? Which is why Paul says we fulfill the law of Christ, which is what? To love one another. That's how we do it for each other. And a challenge from Keller who says this, if you are not engaged in people's lives to the degree of suffering, you're not bearing burdens. I, I wanna challenge you, church, because sometimes you, like me, because I've done this many times, send a message like this. Hey, just let me know how I can help. We're good at that one, right? What do we actually want back from someone? We probably just want a thanks or a thumbs up. Very seldom does the person on the receiving end of that say, oh my goodness, I'm so burdened, here's a list of things that you can help me with, right? 
They very seldom do that. We actually need to go one step further than that. We need to enter into the burden of someone else, into their suffering, and we need to just show up. And so how do we do that? I've got three suggestions for you, three ways that you can help, three Ps. The first one is pray. I imagine this week someone shared something in your life group that was probably a burden. Hey, I'm struggling with this and that's quite hard and this is what's weighing me down. Is that on your prayer list? Have you been praying for that? Have you been praying for that person? Have you sent them an encouragement? Like, hey, the, hey I, I just been praying for this morning. Hey, here's a scripture that'll encourage you. We carry burdens in prayer. The second P is for presence. Are we present in people's burdens? Sometimes we need to just show up. We're not good about this, right? Like, can I schedule something? Can you pencil me in? I can't do Tuesday at two o'clock. Like, no, no, sometimes we just gotta show up for each other. Rick Warren beautifully says, sometimes we gotta show up and shut up. You just gotta be there. And not about the words, oh, it's gonna be awkward, what do I say? No, we just gotta pitch up. Show up in each other's lives. Third P is for practical. Sometimes they're just practical things that can be done. Does someone need a lift? Does someone need a meal? Does someone need something cleaned or something dropped off? Hey, we can all do these types of things. Let's be the type of church who doesn't wait for the list in reply to our message of, hey, how can I help? No, no, we actually just step in and we go for it. And of course, Paul says, hey, you fulfill the law of Christ. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You might say to me, hang on, the whole thing of Galatians so far, we've been in it like 20 something weeks, it's all been, we're not under the law. Now you're talking about fulfilling the law. Yeah, I am. Because this is what Jesus says. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. That is Christ's law, to love one another. We do that by bearing each other's burdens. You see, Paul, instead of saying, hey, become law-abiding citizens, you know, do the work, obey the rules, he says, no, no, become law-abiding Christians and follow me and do what I did. Love one another. You see, we no longer burden one another by the expectation of fulfilling the law, but instead we fulfill the law by lifting one another's burdens. There's some of you sitting here that really struggle to share your burdens. You come in, you dress up really nicely for church, and you smile and you leave, and you're still as burdened as you arrived. And that, that, that breaks us. This needs to be a community where you feel like, I can bring my burdens. And here's a plug for Life Group. This is a big church. Primarily, that's the place where things work out. In Life Group, where there's a small group and you get to be known and you get to trust people and you say, hey guys, can I just share something? This is what I'm going through. And I would hope and I would trust that as you do that, you would, you would feel the love that comes through those who would bear burdens with you. And of course, we get to be there for other people too because some of us sit here and say, I hear stuff, but I just don't know what to do. Rick Warren says, show up and shut up. Hey, we gotta take a step, we gotta take a leap. We can't wait for the list from someone before we jump in and say, hey, I'm just here. I brought you flowers, I brought you a meal, a phone call, I'm here. We get to do that for each other. I'm very privileged in that I get to sit in pastoral conversations and I get to hear feedback from life groups and from interactions with elders and people in our church. And I just wanna say, as much as I'm calling you to something, hey, it's not like we're at zero here, church. No, no, we are doing really well. I hear many stories of how you are showing up for each other, how you're carrying each other's burdens in prayer and contending for things in each other's lives. And I would hope that again, I could take the microphone around and you could say, yes, someone showed up for me. Yes, they carried the burden. Yes, I felt the, the weight reduced when someone sat with me and just listened and talked with me. I hope that's true for a lot of us in the room. And yet we're not a perfect church. 
And maybe you've come into common ground carrying a hurt from a church that didn't carry burdens with you. Or maybe you've experienced that very thing right here. And I wanna say, I am sorry if that is what has happened in your life. We are not a perfect community, but man, we wanna turn that dial, that dimmer switch, right? And and growing in fruits and growing in dependence and being the spirit-filled community who does the stuff more and more for each other. Won't you trust alongside us for more of that? But I also wanna say, if that is you and you're carrying that pain, uh, I would say, please don't carry it alone. Won't you come to the front? We'd love to pray for you in boldness. I know that's a big step for some of us to come and ask for prayer, but we would love to pray with you. We'd love to see how we really can bear that burden alongside you. But then Paul speaks about carrying your own load. Bear one another's burdens, carry your own load. It seems like there's a contradiction here. It's helpful to go back to the root words because the root word of burden is baros. It means a heavy weight. The root word for load is fantion. It means a backpack. And that's really helpful, right? We share heavy loads, sorry, we share heavy weights, but we carry our own backpacks. And I can't put on this screen and say, here, these things, uh, that's a, a burden, and on this side, these are the loads. No, because sometimes a load for you might be a burden for someone else. A burden for you might be a load for someone else. And so it's not always so clear cut, right? But I do think, again, plug for community, but I do think as we work these things out in community, that's the perfect place to try and figure out, hey, what is load and what is burden? But let me give you four questions to help diagnose for yourself or alongside other people. Firstly, what does God say? Okay, that's always gonna be the first question. What is God saying about this uh, load of this burden uh, that you're carrying? The second one is, am I crushed by this? Is this a weight that is so heavy I'm actually crushed by this? That's a good indication that that's a burden to be shared. Third one is, hey, as I look around at other people, is everyone else carrying that same thing? Uh, here's an example. Um, your physical health. That for me feels like that's a backpack. It's, it's, it's hey, keep fit and eat well and get your sleep and so on. But imagine a serious medical diagnosis. Suddenly that starts to shift towards something that's way more of a burden, right? And then you're gonna have to call other people into it. The fourth one is, who can I ask for wisdom? Is there anyone in your life that is just, just gives wise advice, godly counsel? Hey, maybe it's your life group leader, maybe it's one of the elders if you wanna come and chat. And Hey, I just wanna bounce this off you, help me see this rightly. You see, we do this in community, right? A spiritual community, this is what it looks like. I spoke about those who, are, who struggle to share their burdens but on another extreme, <laughs> there are those uh, who sh- really wanna share all their load. <laughs> they don't wanna carry a backpack, right? And possibly right now, someone's coming into your mind. And I've, I've been in this long enough that I've, I've experienced a number of people like that. And the reality is that they, they, those who wanna share all of their load, their backpack, they, they actually struggle to self-identify which is again why we need community. And so we can be, hey, I'm gonna help you. That over there, that's a burden. Come, let's get under the weight. Come on, guys, it's rally. And hey, I actually think that one's a load. That might be for you to carry. Let's walk alongside you as you learn how to carry that load on your own. Can you see how good God's design is for community? We need each other in these moments, right? And then the fourth thing is that we have a right view of ourselves. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Last week, Ryan was up here and he recommended a Tim Keller sermon called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Go check it out. And uh, in that, this is what he says, Tim Keller. 
the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. I think that's a great description of what a right view of ourselves looks like. A story is told of the legendary boxer Muhammad Ali. On a flight experiencing turbulence, Ali refused to observe the captain's orders for all passengers to put on their seatbelts. The flight attendant kindly approached Ali and asked him to follow the captain's instructions, to which he replied, Superman, don't need no seatbelt. The flight attendant did not miss a beat and replied, Superman, don't need no airplane either. You see, Ali thought too much of himself. He was deceived to think that he didn't need a seatbelt and everyone else did. And Paul tells us if we think we are something, we too are deceived because scripture tells us that we are like dust. We are like grass. We're like a mist here today and gone tomorrow. And yet we are not nothing, right? No, no, because we are uniquely created in the image of God. We are the ones knitted, woven together in our mother's wombs. Scripture tells us that God sings over us. He delights in us. He's made a way for us to be invited into his family, to be called his children. No, we are not nothing. And so I do think Kedah's right, that a right view of ourselves is when we think of ourselves less. And so what are we to think of? We ought to think about something, right? (laughs) We are to think of God, his very nature, his very character, his mission, his purpose in this world. We are to think of his people, not to compare like we spoke about and say, hey, am I better or am I worse than? Are they ahead of me or am I behind? No, no, no. We think about them in godly ways. And then we'll be able to boast, boast in godly ways. And godly boasting is a real thing because when we have our right view of ourselves, we're able to do that. And the scripture actually says it's more of like a future boasting. If you remember, Kruger was up here, I think two weeks ago, and he said, picture the finish line of the marathon, which I am doing, right? I'm dreaming about, okay? And picture Jesus there with the crown of glory waiting to put it on your head. (coughs) And you get to boast. You get to boast in all of what you have done and all of what God has done through you. It's when vain and conceited boasting falls away and we get to boast in him alone. As I was on my run yesterday, I was thinking back on the 10 years that I spent in that first community, church community. And I just prayed and said, thank you God for that person and that family and it was just really helpful to just, just reflect. But today I woke up and I am freshly grateful for this spirit-filled community. You see, when Jane and I were looking for a, a new church to join, that was one of the, the, the distinctives of this church, that it's a spirit-filled community. And it's trying to work out those things of growing in fruit and, and, and living by the spirit and being dependent on God. And I'm just so pleased that hey, that's a fresh thing that we've been turning the dials up on this year. I hope you've seen that. I hope that you're leaning into more of that in your own lives. And as we do that, we will become those who restore, those who bear, those who carry, those who think rightly. Are we gonna come to the table in a moment? So I'm gonna invite the band, they're gonna come up. And as they come up, I I just want us to... see that to think rightly of ourselves is also to think rightly of Jesus. And let me explain. You see, we've spoken about how we are to restore those caught in sin, but isn't it Christ who's the one who ultimately restores us, restores us to the Father? That's something that only He can do. We are to bear one another's burdens, yes, but did not Christ bear our impossible burden? crushing weight of guilt and shame and condemnation that we couldn't bear, that we couldn't share. We are called to carry our loads and yet doesn't Christ say, hey, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so I'm gonna invite you in a moment to come to the table. You're gonna get 
the juice and you're going to get the bread. You're going to go back and then I'm going to pray, read a scripture and then I'm just going to pray over us and then we're going to go into a last song. So can I invite you to stand? Band's going to strum in the background for a little bit. Come and get the juice, come and get the bread. Hold it in your hands and then I'm going to pray over us. Okay, wonderful. I want to read a scripture to us and this is a, a prayer. This is Jesus speaking to us. He says these words, come to me. That's what we're doing, right? When we come to the table, we're coming to him. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Maybe you come with the weight of the world on your shoulders and he would say, come. If you're heavy and you're laid and you're burdened, uh, come to me. And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. He is gentle. It's not condemning, not harsh. And you will find rest for your souls. Church, we need that. We need that, right? We live busy lives, frantic, heavy laden. We need rest for our souls. Then he ends by saying, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we pray, Christ, in one hand, we hold the bread that represents your body that was broken for us, crushed for us, the weight of condemnation and guilt laid upon you completely, taken from us, the ones who deserve it, and you, the one who didn't deserve it. In your love, you gave your body for us. Thank you. Let's eat the bread. And then Jesus, in the other hand, we hold the juice that represents your blood, your life force that was spilled out for us. There's a worship song that says, your blood speaks a better word. It speaks life, it speaks forgiveness. It speaks the truth that we have been won over into your family. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood was bought for us. Let's drink the juice. And so Jesus, we lift our hands. Maybe you just want to stretch your arms out and we say, we come. You said, you said, come and we come to you. You are gentle. Thank you that you are gentle and you deal with us gently. Forgiveness and mercy and grace. Thank you that you promise rest. Thank you that you promise restoration when we come to you. Rest for our very souls. And you say your burden is light. I pray that we would experience it even right now by the power of your spirit that we would feel weights slipping off us and we would experience the lightness of your self on us. So bless you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done, what you've won for us. Thank you for this spiritual community that we get to be brothers and sisters to one another in those beautiful ways we've spoken about tonight. And we wanna worship you, we celebrate you. And so we sing to you again. Church, let's stand. Let's sing one last song together.